Coming to you from Charm City, this is Cece. And I'm Anthony. And this is Lit. Pop. Bang. Hey everyone, welcome to Lit Pop Bang. We're very excited to be here with another very special guest. We always have special guests, but this one uh, is is extra special because he's a friend and a fantastic poet. Uh, we're here with Joseph Ross. Welcome, Joseph. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. Yeah, we're happy you're joining us. Yeah, we're excited. Digitally, digitally, we're all distancing. No right. one's yeah. in a room. No we're one's s- in a room together. We're so I have a mask over my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I like a very attractive that. Maybe- mask. Maybe that should be our new, uh, you know, visual for this. For That's like our icon for season three is just a mask over a microphone. Exactly. That's the and, avatar and, you need to change, CC. That's the avatar. <laughs> and we can be in the in the corner somewhere distant. I don't know. Anyway, this is getting crazy. What I need to do is go ahead and introduce our guest properly by reading his bio. So let me start off by saying Joseph Ross is the author of four books of poetry, Raising King, forthcoming here in September 2020, Ache, in 2017, Gospel of Dust, 2013, and Meeting Bone Man, 2012. His poetry has appeared in a wide variety of publications, including the Los Angeles Times, the Southern Quarterly, Xavier Review, Poet Lore, Tidal Basin Review, Beltway Poetry Quarterly, and Sojourners. His work appears in many anthologies, including What Saves Us, Poems of Empathy and Outrage in the Age of Trump, edited by Martin Espada, which is a fantastic anthology if you don't have it. He has served as the 23rd Poet in Residence for the Howard County Poetry and Literature Society, just outside of Washington, D.C. He's a six-time Pushcart Prize nominee, and his poem, If Mamie Till Was the Mother of God, won the 2012 Pratt Library Little Patuxent Review Poetry Prize. Get it, yes. get it. I agree. We love that. We love that. He is the author of uh, the four poetry collections that I mentioned earlier, Meeting Bone Man, Gospel of Dust, Ache, and in his latest, Raising King, which dropped around the time that you'll be hearing this podcast, September 15, 2020. Raising King explores the life and work of Martin Luther King Jr. through poems responding to Stride Towards Freedom, Why Can't We Wait, and Where Do We Go From Here? Please welcome Joseph Ross. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Yeah, so that's the official bio, and then we always ask people right after we read it, that's what's on the page. What's something that's not in there that's you, that's Joseph Ross that's not in your bio? Mm. Uh, I'm a big NBA basketball fan. Great. Uh, I'm an English teacher, and I love teaching American Lit. That's all fantastic. Right. That? We're going to talk about at least one of those things today, if not all of them. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned great things. Those are all great. And usually people say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to add, but you had it all worked out. I always got something to say. Yeah. <laughs> be careful. I could be tweeting you, Joseph. That's a, that's a private joke between, between us. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So we should start off by asking you um, some questions. Anthony, I don't know if you wanted to go first or. Yeah, if you... I can kick okay. off. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So I'm going to kick off with, um, you know, I think you and your work like clearly unambiguously identifies as political poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, one thing that we didn't mention in your bio was that you're an early member of DC Poets Against the War, along mm-hmm. with some of your friends and contemporaries, including Sarah Browning, San Hamill, Dan Vera, and more. Mm-hmm. Um, that group, it sort of, it rose as a response to the war in Iraq. And in addition to being part of, you know, the biggest protest in the history of the world, <laughs> the movement was also the catalyst for Split This Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, the biannual festival of poetry, a provocation, a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a big interest of mine, poetry and war. And so I was wondering if you could just discuss, um, you know, it's a tough question, but what do you think a poet's role should be during times of war or, you know, more generally, if we're looking at the moment right now during times of violent conflict? Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the poet's role has to be telling the truth. And the poet's role has to be um, speaking right out of the feelings uh, that he or she experiences and not being afraid to find artful ways to tell the truth. Uh, And that is crucial today. Uh, Absolutely crucial. Maybe more than, I don't know, I don't want to get dramatic, but it's crucial. Maybe more than it has been in any of our lifetimes so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a president who lies uh, constantly. We... um, are in great danger because of the situation in our country today of talking to somebody today saying, I feel like I'm like we're losing our country. Uh, and I, I don't think that's alarmist. I think that's a legit concern. So the, the poet, I think, always has to be artful, has to be 
bring craft and care, you know, care to the work, uh, but has to not be afraid to write about the things that are screaming around him or her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always paraphrase Langston Hughes t- saying that, um, you know, the poets who write about sunsets and wildflowers and all of that um, must have very boring lives. Right, right. This is an, an, an <laughs> ache, is. right, I think? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, so I mean, the role is to tell the truth artfully. Uh, don't be afraid. Huh? That's, that's a re- great. That's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's cool. a it's very succinct, and you sound very uh, very steadfast and sure of that answer. It's a great actually segue to my question. Actually, before I get to the question, Joseph, we're going to do something <clears throat> that we normally don't do, and I'm going to ask you if you would read uh, one poem because it's actually uh, the epigraph in the poem is uh, h- how my question is sort of related. So mm-hmm. uh, would you read the poem, The Response? Let me get there. Thank you for uh, inviting me to read something because I I'm learning how to read these poems, or I'm beginning to learn how to read these poems out loud. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad to do it. Let me say a word about the response. Okay, so this is a in, in Raising King. Every poem has a title and then an mm-hmm. epigraph, which comes mm-hmm. from which is from Dr. King, one of his books, and then the poem. So the response uh, and the epigraph is: Darkness cannot drive out darkness; only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate; only love can do that. The beauty of nonviolence is that in its own way and in its own time, it seeks to break the chain reaction of evil. And that's from Dr. King's last book, Where Do We Go From Here? It is almost amusing how quickly we reach for the wrong tool. It is almost understandable how we get things so wrong. This man angers me, so I give him my anger. This country refuses me, so I spit refusal back. If just once we could offer the open hand, we might surprise the one who hates us into remembering his own humanity. Mm. Wow. The response. Thank you uh, for reading that, Joseph. I think that a poem is so timely as I think a lot of the work uh, in Raising King is, but specifically in this poem, um, I love the poem. First of all, let me say that. Uh, I think the poem speaks to so many things, uh, both nationally and globally that we're dealing with right now um, in this country, but specifically the the epigraph from Dr. King, which says specifically, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Um, That specifically to me feels like a very optimistic (laughs) Um, sort of, uh, you know, sort of statement. Maybe I'm wrong in thinking that that sounds optimistic, but I do feel um, that both Dr. King and John Lewis um, and and people of their ilk had so much hope and optimism for the future, right? And I think if I'm thinking now, you know, recently of the DNC Democratic National Convention, you know, Michelle Obama also spoke and she, her famous phrase, when they go low, we go high, Mm -hmm. right? I think there's a similar sort of optimism in sort of striving for the thing or going towards the thing that involves empathy, that involves vulnerability, that involves, um, you know, embracing the other. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to ask you, like, what do you feel like um, this epigraph and also your poem, uh, the response that also is engaging, um, sort of this idea with the one who hates me, right? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's the line that grabs me um, there, you know, so so strongly, you know what I mean? Uh, the one who hates us to, to remembering his own humanity. What do you think that offers us uh, at this current moment here uh, in America, in particular, when there's so much strife going on, especially in terms of Black Lives Matter uh, yeah. and, and other places? Well, I think it... I. Th- while I do think it's optimistic or hopeful, as you say, it's mm-hmm. hopeful, I think, in the very long run, in the like the biggest picture. Mm. But in, re- in, in, in the near term, I think Dr. King's idea of, um, you know, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can. It's very hard work. It is very mm. hard work. And it asks a lot of, um, of people to reach across to the other. Uh, we, we know, though, that in the long run, you know, fire on fire, it just makes more fire, mm. you know, uh, anger against anger. At, at some point, if you just, you have to decide that you want a solution. And so you have to really, you have to be open and you have to listen to people. And, um, 
yeah, you, you have to you have to open yourself and hope that they open themselves uh, so that there's a so that there's a way forward. Otherwise, it really is just hate on hate, darkness on darkness. Um, and I, I like to think, you know, uh, this poem is you know really speaking out of the heart of Dr. King. Uh, and you mentioned John Lewis, too. And I think he would I think he would find a, a, a home in this poem, too. Yeah. The, these were not naive people. These were people who suffered uh, as a result of their work. And so that they could hold on to that kind of hopefulness uh, and urge us to that, that it is the only way there is a real long-term solution. Mm. I just think that's terribly important. I know a lot of people don't agree with that. You know, they... They would say, you know, you know, no, it's it's too much to ask of people, and I hmm. I hear that I I can understand that, um, yeah, but I think it, so. I think that you're right. It is hopeful. It's optimistic, but you know, uh, it's also really hard work. Um, yes, to, I like, and that's and I and I like that you said that. I think sometimes, uh, even like I said, when I've heard Michelle Obama speak and sort of say this, uh, you know, use this phrase, I've sort of said to myself, you know, it's a big, it's a big requirement of people who have felt if you are in the, uh, position of being oppressed, right. right, That's a, that's a, that's a hard and high requirement, right. You know, and I'm not saying it's impossible and I'm not saying that I don't practice it or, uh, think that we should, that's what we should be aiming for as a country. But I think mm-hmm. it is hard work. I think I, I was, you know, I think your, your, your statement is so important. It's hard work. Thanks. It's Dr. King's statement. <laughs> well, yes, but yeah, your, but, your, but your yeah. statement about his, about his, uh, about his words uh, is so important. You know, it's hard work. It's not easy. We're not yeah. going to get, we're not going to get through this, uh, you know, uh, skipping through the park. I think, I think it's hard work. That's yeah. right. And it doesn't mean you don't call out. It doesn't, again, like going back to what you said about a poet during these days, it doesn't mean you don't tell the truth. It doesn't mean right. you don't pretend that this person doesn't really hate you and that their right. hatred is really destructive right. and that it, their hatred may have caused them to do really horrible things. It doesn't mean you soften or backpedal or any of, any of that. Right. Uh, but that it, still in the long run, if you want a solution, it has to go this way. Right. Yeah, uh, that's great. A lot of that question led right into my second question, which I think is the harder question, right? We ramped up to this, uh, the complicated question. I think we're going to ease up with a form question at the end, but... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Go easy on uh, me. <laughs> well, I think a great deal of your work, obviously, is about the history of race and racism in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, including your latest, Raising King. Um, and there you're working in an ekphrastic tradition. You're responding to earlier art, including earlier visual art that represents Dr. King. Um, but you're also working in the tradition of persona poems mm-hmm. um, and doing so in the historical and everyday voices of black figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're in the era of like uh, in our own voices. And I know that poets, particularly poets who center social and races, just social and racial justice in their work, like you do mm-hmm. spend a lot of time considering the ethics of the choices of their work. And so I was wondering if you could discuss your process with that decision with to take on the voice and to speak in this persona voice for Dr. King and for the working class black Alabamans who you represent in your poems. Yeah. And, and though there's, that's a very small number of poems. I mean, the overall book, lots of the book is in Dr. King's voice. And I, I certainly understand. um, I understand the concern people raise sometimes. uh, And it's, I've written persona poems before in earlier, earlier work. Yeah. Uh, and and have and have tried to discuss this at readings, uh, you know, when people when it comes up, um, and in my own teaching and all of that, um, you know, I, I think some things you have to consider some things if you're going to take on someone else's voice. Um, you've got to be respectful. I think you have to know <clears throat> that person and their work and their life so that you're not taking on their voice and then saying something crazy. Uh, I yeah. think respectfulness is an important piece. I think knowledge, really knowing uh, what they what they stood for, what they did to represent them uh, accurately, I think is very important. Um, And, you know, I I mean, I guess it's clear, you know, in the end where I come down is that I thought I want to write these poems, most of them in his voice. So I would ask people, you know, someone who has a concern about that. One of the first things I'd say, I think is I, I would, I would ask them to read the poems and, to say something like, do they hear Dr. King? You know, did I get it right? Do I hear Dr. Do they hear Dr. King here? Um, and, and that, that certainly was part of my process, sharing these poems with, a, with a number of people who could help me with that. Um, 
I respect the idea that uh, you've got to be certainly at least careful when you take on someone else's voice, especially someone as iconic as Dr. King. Um, and I didn't do it lightly. Uh, I did it with full knowledge uh, and full, also full mm. knowledge that, you know, some people weren't going to like it and would yeah. think that yeah. just on, on the face of it, someone who, who is non-black like me uh, should never do it. I, I understand that. I have some sympathy for it. I mean, obviously, in the end, I, I came down in a different place. And, and here's why, at least in my mind, <clears throat> for much of, a lot of what said about the, you know, the, the viciousness and the divisiveness of our time, both in our country and the world, I am really somebody who believes and has for a long time that if more people knew the life and work of Dr. King, the world would be different. It could be different. Um, I'm not saying, you know, all of his, we have to follow his uh, strategies and all of that exactly, but I really do believe that if people knew the depth of his critique, uh, the depth of his vision about not only America, but how humans live with humans, you know, where do we go from here? Chaos or community? I think the world would be better. So in, in, a, in a way, I don't mean to oversimplify it too much, but, you know, I had to take the, the idea of, um, you know, do you, do you take the risk of writing in someone else's voice and just decide not to do it against, I want these, I want people to read these poems. I want people to know Dr. King's life and work because I think it can help the world. Um, and, you know, so it's obvious how, where I came down, but I, I guess, yeah. you know, in the end, I would, I would just ask people to read the poems um, and see if something sounds true to them. Yeah. And it's gorgeous work, of course. And I think well, one interesting thing that you're saying that the work does <laughs> is, you know, there's a big problem of, of not knowing Dr. King, but, acting as though you do in this country, right? Mm -hmm. Of knowing like, the whitewashing. The two the two speeches you're taught in high school. And then yeah, a lot of whitewashing about his, you know, really radical body of work. That's right. Um that just not in a lot of public discourse. And so it's certainly doing that work, this collection. That's my hope. So right. So and and you know, timely, today, August twenty eighth, is the fifty seventh right. anniversary right. of the March on Washington. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is almost the only speech of Dr. King anybody knows. Yeah. Right. And if you think that the depth of his thought ends with I have a dream, um, that's a you don't know Dr. King at all. Right. Um, you know, his critique, uh his his uh, the American triplets, you know, uh, militarism, racism, and consumerism, his yeah. critique of his insistence on the neutrality of time, I think yep. is a fascinating idea. You know, it ain't going to get better just because we we think that the moral arc of the universe will bend somehow. Right. We have to bend it. Right. Uh, and he was very clear that time is neutral. Uh, nothing happens just because enough time passed. That if, And in fact, he, he would be very blunt and, and said, um, I think in Letter from Birmingham Jail, he says that... Uh, in his view, really, people who have been his enemies, the, the, you know, kind of people who want to stoke racial hatred, they have frankly used time much better. Uh, mm. And that, that those of us who want to work toward a more just country, we got to get on it uh, because it's not going to happen by itself. But some of those, you know, those are much more complicated ideas. His idea of the beloved community, of the world house, yeah. uh, those images he uses I'm just convinced that if people knew more about that, I think that I think we might relate to each other differently. Um, hmm. And so in answer to your. Yeah. So. So, you know, I had to balance those couple of things and thought, you know, these uh, his I want his voice here. Yeah. Yeah. Such such important, um, you know, heavy decisions to make for an artist. Right. I think, you know, that's one so. thing that, um, you know, that question brings to mind is just the the massive amount of decisions that artists have to make and also weighing what's important. What 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 is your end goal? What do you want to do yeah. um, with the work? And I think um, my next question, actually, it is also about the work, but it's a lighter question. Um, okay. It's more about the craft of the work, um, Joseph, because I know your work. I've been reading your work for a long time, have all of your books. 
I'm very excited to get this this physical one in my hand, even though Thank you, very, <laughs> very excited, very excited about that. But um, one of the things that I notice in most of your work is that you work in couplets. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I've ever heard anyone ask for those of you that don't know poetry. Uh, couplets is a two line stanza. Right. Um, there are poems in your in other books of yours. I remember the Nelson Mandela meets Tupac um, poem that has a three line, has a terse set, has a three line stanza. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, I would say like 80, 85 percent of your poems are written um, in couplets. Is there any particular reason why you pick couplets or um, is that a form that speaks uh, particularly because you're taking on history and historical figures a lot of times. Is that a, is that a, um, a form that speaks to um, that content? What's the reasoning behind yeah, that? Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a very, it's a very good question, and it's certainly a fair question. If someone just flips through uh, any of my books, they're going yep. to see exactly what you <laughs> described. Um, <laughs> my first book, Meeting Bone Man, I probably was not doing it quite as much, but right. it's, almost, it's almost become a kind of a default which maybe is going to turn into a rut at some point that I need to explore. <laughs> but, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not beyond saying that. But, but here's how it, it began. Um, I think I was just in a, a poetry workshop and somebody suggested uh, to try trying just drafting poem to, to work on uh, different kinds of line breaks. Uh, so, mm. you know, where, where a line ends uh, and why it ends there. Uh, to try writing in two-line stanzas in couplets. And what I discovered almost immediately was that it just enabled me to see possible line breaks and other various possibilities so much more easily. Mm. And so it just it just became this tool that I felt like I was thrilled when I discovered it. I don't know mm. if it's, you know, yeah, I mean, some of it has to do with, like, leaving more white space on the page or blank space yes. on the page. I, I can just I can see options both for line breaks and for all kinds of things where I want the poem to go. Uh, and hmm. so it's become kind of like a comfortable bike seat <laughs> or, a, you know, like it, it's just a it's a it, it's a kind of a road that I find very comfortable. Um, and I, I do think that in in the, the poems in Raising King, especially, you know, some, and maybe a lot of my, the work in Ake as well, some yeah. more recent work, there can be a level of intensity and a hope and sometimes giving the reader a little bit of space uh, uh, is, is helpful. Uh, but it began really with, it helped me to see line breaks. So I, I, I used it kind of as a drafting tool first and then just kind of thought, you know what? For the, I mean, I still make individual, you know, decisions about individual poems. Does it really stay yeah. like this, or do I create longer yeah. stanzas? And I do that sometimes. But yeah. you're exactly right. For the most part, I just, I just let it kind of stay with the couplets. Um, what you see in Raising King a lot are um, poems that are in couplets until the last line, and the last line is a single line stanza. Yes. Um, yes, I've noted. And you do that in other work. You have done that I in do. other work, too. Yes, you have single True. lines. Yes, you do. But I, I agree with you more here in Raising King. I, I sort of see that. And I also wanted to note, too, in addition to that craft uh, decision about the couplets, I just wanted to note that I thought what was really also um, as you were talking to Anthony um, in terms of the if you only only know one speech of Dr. King's, I think this book is really important for people to have in their hands because it is highlighting uh, multiple speeches and multiple books uh, by Dr. King. And I think that is a tool that I feel will be very, extremely educational, both for young folks and for people like me who may not have read all of his speeches before, you Uh know? So I just think it's really important that you are included. Those epigraphs, I feel like, are so instrumental and so uh, educational for us to be reading Dr. King's work. And especially like I said, I feel this book is so timely. You know, mm. I mean, we're, we're the country's going through so much. I think we I, need. I wish it weren't, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 I mean, that's true. But at the same time, you know, hopefully, um, as you say, the poet wants to speak truth. Hopefully this work can, you know, uh, inject a little bit of truthfulness. We need, you know, uh, we need real facts, you know what yeah. I mean, right now. And so I think um, and we need inspiration, too. I think those two things. So I just like to say that I wanted to say that also about the craft of the book. I really appreciated those words from Dr. King. Thank you. Yeah. And can I say a a, a little word about the overall uh, structure of the book with those epigraphs? Because what it, I think Dr. King wrote six or seven books. It kind of depends on how you count, how you count um, collected sermons and that kind of thing. But there are three books that people, that scholars refer to as his political autobiographies. Stride Toward Freedom, he writes when he's in his late twenties, 
Mm -hmm. uh, he is a very young man. He has just arrived in, it's all about the Montgomery bus protest and it's, mm -hmm. and it's all about that. Um, so he's very young. It's, it's, it's young prose also. Um, why we can't wait. He writes, uh, about the violence of 1963. He's, he's lived through a lot more violence. Um, he's a little harder. He's a little, uh, more chastened. Mm -hmm. And then where do we go from here, chaos or community? It, he writes in the last year of his life. So it's mm -hmm. post Nobel Peace Prize. It's um, mm -hmm. he's been living mm -hmm. for a couple of years under constant death threats. It's a very it's a very different. It's more urgent and in some ways more sad. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. King, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so the I, uh, the book is divided up into those three sections, right. and it just moves th the epigraphs. Then move from those three. So the first section, you know, the epigraphs are all from stride toward freedom, and and on it goes. And then there's an, a, a prologue, an epilogue, and then something else. I did. I um, ended each section with a poem in the voice of Coretta Scott, yeah. uh, his wife. Yes. Because I I thought there there's no there there is no Martin King without her. Uh, yes. Not the Martin King that we know. Yes. Um, and going back to something else you said, um, the March on the I Have a Dream doesn't really show up in this book. <laughs> you right. know, and, it's, and everybody knows it, you know, and I'm right. not, I'm not trying to critique it. Uh, I just, there were, there were other places to go. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's important. No, I love that. I love that. Uh, you, I'm glad, glad you took a little minute to explain, uh, the book, but yeah. And, uh, Inviting Coretta into the book is so uh, important. You know what I mean? You can't. Already, write, yeah, you can't. You can't there's, there's no him without her. Doesn't have right. There, and there, well, there's no. Yes. Yes. I, I'm just going to say that. Yes. <laughs> in, indeed, there's no him without her. And we saw some of that when we saw, uh, you know, many people saw uh, Ava DuVernay's movie, you know, um, Selma. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we saw we saw sort of that that backbone uh, that she was providing for King. So I think it's uh, so um I don't know, precious, not just pre precious sounds too uh, small, but it's, it's very important that you included her. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Thank you. All right. And we're back with the pop section of the podcast. Uh, just will be joining us for this. Uh, yes. Have a lot of going on in the world. It's tough to pick <laughs> every month, right? It is. <laughs> narrow it down. is. It is. Uh, but some some things loom bigger than others as, yeah. as we transition into this yeah. first one. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, uh, racial justice is a big theme on today's show. Yeah. And so the pop culture section of today's show is no exception. So what I wanted to talk about first was sports, right? Uh, Major League <laughs> Sports right now. And uh, Cece, as you know... I am not a big sports fan. You're not. You're not. But Joseph is, and Great, I'm in. The, and I'm in. And I'm in the middle. So, good, good. <laughs> yeah, we have the spectrum represented. <laughs> we here, do. Yeah. We do. We do. We do. We do. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I talk shit about sports and sports players and millionaires, but the truth is, is that professional athletes. Um, they have a lot of cultural and financial influence that they can use for positive social change. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, as, as you all know, this week, as we're recording this in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake, um, and both acute and chronic racism and racialized violence in the U S major league sports players across the country have refused to play this week. So in the NBA playoff games are briefly suspended. Um, when the bucks decided not to play until yep. the league, uh, and the player association took real action yep. against racialized violence. Um, as we're recording this, the league announced today that they're going to take a number of actions, including um, including turning their arenas, arenas into voting into vo locations. Yeah, Isn't voting that cool? locations. That's amazing. Yeah. That's Visual. amazing. It's really important. Yeah. Um, the WNBA, who's like been vocal on the matter of racial justice for years, like they're way ahead of the NBA, yeah. um, also announced a labor strike and demanded action from elected officials. Mm -hmm. Our own Washington Mystics showed up on their scheduled game this week wearing T-shirts printed with seven bullet holes on the back mm -hmm. to represent the violence against Jacob Blake. Mm. I didn't um, know that one. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's, the visuals are just amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a bold statement for sure. Yeah, um, so, yeah, there we yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. In the NFL, um, several teams canceled their practice in solidarity, and many of them, uh, the teams, released individual statements. This is wild. Roger Goodell, who is the NFL commissioner, he's notorious for being terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he actually That's said fair. today... 
<laughs> he said today that he'd wish he'd listened to Colin Kaepernick earlier. Yeah, yeah, I heard that one yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, too late, I thought too to myself, I, exa- exactly, Joseph. <laughs> I, I, I roll my eyes at that statement. Exactly. Yeah, I was like, yeah. really? The train has left the station. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. so, uh, take take yeah. two seats is what I, liter- I <laughs> right. literally, I was like, no. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry, Anthony, I'm interrupting. Yeah. But yeah. No, so. yeah, so much. Uh, the NHL, even, the very white NHL postponed their playoffs game this yeah. week. Yeah. Um, yeah, their so. players released a statement of solidarity in baseball. The Mets took yeah. the field last night, um, observed 40, a 42-second moment of silence, and then walked off the field, leaving only a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on the field. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, a lot of Major League players uh, and player associations and the organization themselves taking action. I'm sure you all, as more sports fans than I am, have strong opinions about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real. Uh, I, I was so thrilled uh, and really kind of moved when I, I, I was actually at my computer. And I thought, oh, yeah, it's after four o'clock. The Bucks game should have started game five against uh, Orlando. And I went to the and to NBA.com because they have a little like score tracker there that because that game was only on NBA TV, which I don't have. So um, I couldn't watch it or but you can kind of you can kind of watch the game unfolding. Uh, and there they were talking about that the Orlando Magic had come out onto the court, you know, doing warm-ups, all of this. And all of a sudden people were like, what's happening? Where are the Bucks?" Uh, and then they just said, we're not coming out. And then uh, a little bit later, maybe 5-something five, five or 6-something p.m., made the, a very powerful statement. And I think it's huge. Uh, it's huge in a couple of and I think in two ways. One, um, it says no business as usual. Like some, yeah. It, yeah, it's symbolic. Yeah. yeah, it's performative. I get it. Um, but sometimes something just has to stop mm. uh, to make us all think even for a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully that thinking lasts more than the moment. But what I think it, the other side, what I think it also really does is it is a, it is a very, um, it's a very wise reminder to the NBA owners that all of their income could come crashing to a halt. And so they've got to get active and engaged in the cities in which they own arenas and host teams. Mm, And they've got to get a hold of those mayors and those DAs and those attorneys general and those chiefs of police, maybe. Uh, The owners, your, your income could all come down to nothing. Now the players could, you know, end up with not a lot too. And, and there's a lot of, uh, repercussions, you know, the people who sell popcorn and the people who, yeah, you know, work in the arenas. If really all of this came to an end, um, a lot of people would suffer. But I think their the Bucks' point was that se- he was shot in the back seven times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is it's with his children in the back of the car. It yeah. is just hard to imagine a horror that is yeah. greater than that. Yeah. So I just I think it's wonderful, you know, for all the reasons that people say, um, you know, sports, let's just play sports should should stay out of politics. That is uh, that is dehumanizing these players. You yeah. know, the the dribble dribble don't think or something kind of Shut idea. Shut up and dribble. Yeah. Shut up and thing. dribble. Yeah, exactly. That crazy. Right. That crazy these are, nonsense. These are people. Yeah. These are people. And um, they've got opinions. I, I just think it's wonderful. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I was really, really happy, like I said, just to hear uh, the last pieces about the arenas being turned uh, into, you know, polling places. But, you uh-huh. know, I really thought that that was a on the ground, like practical thing that, uh-huh. you know, because there is a way in which you mentioned it, Joseph, that this is uh, performative. I mean, you know, but I do like what you said is that this stops business as usual, you know, uh-huh. and always what I'm looking for in terms of, I mean, you know, basketball stars are celebrities at the end of the day. I mean, I mean, you know, uh-huh. I mean, they're sports people, but they're also celebrities. Many of, not all of them, but many of them have big celebrities. I would really love to see some of these um, players, like you said, really involved in their home, their home teams, their home state. You know what I'm saying? And getting uh-huh. the getting the NBA or, you know, or the NFL or whoever involved in some of those processes, I think can really be because we need like political institutional change. Right. right. And I think that thing is, uh, as you would say, hard work. Right. Uh-huh. And I think that that thing doesn't happen just by people deciding, um, you know, I think workers, as we know, worker strikes and 
boycotts have uh, throughout time can be really important in terms of um, what it can signal, right? Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying to others. But what we really do also need is hands on the ground, changing some of the dynamics that are going on in these cities. Yeah. I mean, right. you, they're, they're, it, it just it just cannot continue to be like this. And Jacob Blake, as sad as it was, is is one one in a long string of That's names, right. you know, right. and that has been going on for what eight, ten years. I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, it just it's unfathomable. I, I don't know Trayvon Martin. I should know the uh, maybe Joseph. Maybe you know the date of Trayvon Trayvon Martin. You know, if we go all the way um, back, I'm just you know, it's yeah. it's it's been too much, too long. Is what well, I'm just trying to say. I, I mean, it, it's the it, it's the it's the story of American history. Yes, of you course. Know, it yeah, goes course. way back beyond Trayvon Martin. It does. As right. my, you know, at the end of my American literature classes, you know, what we what we say is that you know what 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 one thing we've learned here is that um, the black body has been under assault uh, yes. from the very beginnings of America. Yes, yes. and it has yeah. it it has never it has always been okay. Um, you know, for, for especially for for law enforcement, whatever shape that was, whether it was the slave master or the police department. Yep. Um, or the KKK and you know people hiding and lynching, right. um, it's 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 a this is a long the string the thread goes through all of American history and that's why the work is so hard. That's also why the work is essential. Um, but you're right; it, ha it has to unfold in some real practical policy ways. Yep. Um, and that that can happen, and sometimes it is the the symbolic moment of no business as usual that sort of jumpstarts that to happen. That's the that's the hope. But yeah. like, you know, I don't know who said, you know, hope isn't a strategy. Um, yeah. it, it, you know, people have, this has to be mayors, chiefs of police, uh, lawmakers, you know, there have to be new rules about when a suspect gets to walk away from something just because you told him to get on the ground because he was selling single cigarettes right. doesn't mean you wrestle him to the ground. There are some yeah. things you can walk away from. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. and we have to, we have to relearn and re legislate all of those things yep yeah yeah you know i think it's really powerful one of the one of the another one of the things that the nba decided was that they were forming these committees and often committees are ways to just you know punt the problem down the road to pretend you're like you're doing something but my hope is that they also mean real action because yeah. you know we hate to admit it but money runs a lot of things in this country and uh -huh. so if we can have owners and players meeting on these issues uh -huh. um, and and throwing that money around for the sake of police reform and racial justice that that's what gets to those changes right um, that's right and so i'm hoping that that's a really meaningful strategy in the long run uh -huh. yeah as yeah. we all are yeah so yeah. we're so gonna lighten else? it up a bit. Yeah. What else yeah. is going on, Anthony? Going <laughs> deep. You know, I don't. I don't have any black girl magic topics for for pop culture today. But what else is going on in the You are you a black were... girl magic topic. Yeah. What did you say, Joseph? You you are a black girl magic topic. Oh, there it is. I love that. <laughs> All I you gotta that. do is show up. <laughs> I love that. That's so, that's so cute. Yeah. I don't <laughs> uh, well, one thing that's related to what you often bring for Black Girl Magic is just what you're watching in TV and film. Didn't you want to ask about that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, since we have Joseph here, too, we've all been quarantined. At, well, we well, not quarantined necessarily. We've all been social distancing. A lot of us have been uh, staying closer to our houses a lot more. Um, mm -hmm. So we're listening to podcasts. We're watching television. Um, Joseph, is there anything in particular that you are hooked on while we're at home during this time? Yeah. Um, well, my normal addiction is to like PBS, right? Okay. And okay. so that that's pre-pandemic, and it has certainly kept me alive during the pandemic. Okay. Um, but there are a couple of, I guess they're like British PBS shows uh, oh. that have kind of gotten my attention, and I'm going to sound like such a complete and total nerd. But <laughs> one that I really love is called Vera. Uh, Vera okay. is this very frumpy, uh, you know, uh, kind of grandmotherly or not quite grandmother, maybe, you know, elderly, aunt-ly um, kind of uh, police detective in uh, Britain. And she, and Vera, I think, you know, the name probably comes from truth or something. So like she uh, always, yeah. she always gets her, she always gets her guy, you know, she always gets the, <laughs> the she always gets the criminal, but they're really kind of crafted, thoughtful, interesting shows. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing. Vera, she's cool. 
I'm okay. Yeah. All right. I'm, <laughs> That's I might have to, it, she sounds kind of like Murder, She Wrote. Or so I don't know. It seems a it's, little Angela Lansbury-ish. I it's, don't a, know. it's better than that. It's, I, okay. I, I hear you. It is. She's, though the, though the Aunt Lee thing is, she's much more frumpy and kind of disheveled. You know, she's kind of, remember Columbo? Oh, I'm, that's great. It's I'm, British I'm, Columbo. Yeah. It's, she's kind of a, the British female Columbo. She's wow. kind of a mess, you know, like her sweaters are always, everything's always kind of hanging off. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, she, she pulls a bottle of whiskey out of the top drawer of her desk. Jeez. You know, I mean, she's my girl. She's that, that kind yeah. of girl. Yeah. But she, but she's you. super smart. She takes no, no mess off anybody. She's great. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right, what about right. you, she, Cece? What are you watching right now? She just drinks on the, she's, she's no mess, but she just drinks her whiskey on the side. I love that. Um, <laughs> That's right. Um, I'm, uh, we have been watching tons of stuff, um, but I will just mention one highlight that I really love. Um, it's on Hulu and it's called Mrs. America. People have probably hmm. um, heard of it. Um, it's a sort of uh, throwback all the, it's not a, it's a, I mean, it's fictional, but uh, Kate Blanchett is in it um, mm. and they've all playing Phyllis Schaff and we've got oh, right um, on. Right, oh, yeah, Shirley. I remember this now. Yeah, Uzo, I saw the trailer for this. Uzo, yeah. Adobe, I'm not going to say her last name. Adobe, Adobe, I don't know. Is her last name, but she's playing Shirley Chisholm. Um, there are a lot of other really great characters. We've got Gloria Steinem character. We've got all the Betty Friedan character. And it's really about the ERA, women's rights, and how that you know, sort of, sort of came uh, mm-hmm. to fruition in the seven, the mid seventies, right? You know, so it's really, um, but it's really just interesting watching all these characters. And of course, there was an anti-ERA um, uh, movement. So you know, so anyway, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I'm saying it's a lot of fun. It's not. It's historical. It's both engaged with history, but it also, uh, you know, gives me a little. It's a little lightweight in a little bit. So I, I enjoy it. I think it's really well done. Um, it's also uh, directed and produced by women. So, um, yeah. So I'm, nice. I'm liking that. That's one of my f- more favorites. And and then, of course, there's just regular, I don't know, other stuff. I like this silly show from New York called Cash Cab, where you ride in a cab and you and you <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and you like answer questions that like totally speaks to my like, you know, Jeopardy nerd like inside. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so I love that. I'm, I'm watching multiple episodes of Cash Cab and just a bunch of other stuff. Design shows. Um, I love house and architecture and design shows a lot. So, you know, just a little bit of uh, everything. But Mrs. America is definitely um, one of my favorites at the moment. That's great. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine is also like one that's like a good show, similarly like based in a historical story. Oh. Um, and then one trash one. So my my good one or good ish is I just binged um Halt and Catch Fire. Haven't you either you seen no, this? No, I don't know that. <laughs> it's a it it's a character drama based on like the history of the internet. Hmm. Um and so it starts out with just two dudes making computers in the late seventies. Hmm. Um and it's a drama of their life. Lee Pace plays one of the characters and he, hmm. Lee Pace is really great. Um and and then like season two is like the emergence of like online communities and then episode three is like the 90s internet explosion and episode oh. season four is like um uh massive multiplayer games and search engines and stuff like that and so <laughs> it's just telling this sort of like group of characters the story of their lives and their dramas but they're all in the tech industry so it's also telling the story of that of the yeah, internet yeah, boom yeah. um and so it's i just i just looked this up this has a 90 percent rotten tomatoes <laughs> yeah rating. so uh, i just want to yeah i mean so yeah so I'm, this sounds great <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my friends told me, "Hey, you should watch it." The Lee Pace's character is bi, and they so they sold it for me for that. They're like, "Hey, you should watch this as Lee Pace playing a bi character." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I'll check it out." But they also told me, "Like, hey, it's not very good at the start, and the characters are all really hateable mm. in the first season. But if you invest in them, that ends up paying off, and that ends up being exactly true, right? <laughs> like the characters are pretty pretty unlikable to start." Um, mm-hmm. Which is a bold move, but it somehow works, I think. Oh, nice. yeah. all right. And, and then my, my trash show is um, Supermarket Suite went on um, Netflix recently. I don't know if you remember Supermarket Suite from the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s, but mm-hmm. it's a TV show um, based in a supermarket where you run around the supermarket finding items. Neither of you remember this? <laughs> no. I don't. It was it was big trashy daytime television in the seventies and eighties. It was oh, for okay. like stay at home moms on yeah. basic is, cable. This is funny because didn't they do a, a rendition of this on the Food Network? Isn't doesn't Guy Fieri do a yeah. show? Yeah, I was yeah. just gonna yeah. say. Yeah. Oh, Guy I didn't Fieri know. did a reboot of it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I didn't know that that show was based in. Hi- oh wow, that's yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, hmm. it's right. it's mindless. 
um, and it's commercial, and I don't know why, but I'm very nostalgic for it. And so I also binge that. <laughs> I mean, nice. hey, I, lo- I mean, I love it. You know, supermarket items. I mean, running around, you know, chasing people in a blue car. Aisle I don't 12, know. yes, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I only know about the Guy Fieri thing because, like I said, he's always, I, I, I find what he does some somewhat interesting. But I never knew that the, he was uh, riffing off an old show. That's cool to know. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay, um, one last pop culture before we move on. Yeah. Do either of you know Smash Mouth, the band Smash Mouth? I've heard the name, but I don't think I know their music. Well, you, you'll know that song if, if Anthony yeah, sings the song. Right, oh, so okay. the, they're famous for All Star, right? Hey, now oh, you're an All Star. Yeah, that's yeah. a song. Um, right, yeah. right, right. And also for Shrek, they, had, they did the cover of I'm a Believer, that's in Shrek. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Um, and they had one more hit single, Walking on the Sun. Um, the weird thing is they still have a weird shelf life. Like they're like, they're big in meme culture, like people making memes of them mm. um, and remixes of their songs. It's very interesting. Anyway, they, that band played at Sturge's motorcycle rally in early <laughs> August. It's um, come to that. What yeah. is, what is Sturge's? Is that a town? So I'm glad you asked. I wasn't sure if you'd know Sturgis because on one hand, it seems very white to me. Michigan, Michigan. That's what I was going to say. Sturgis, Michigan is what I was thinking. Yeah, you're a Hoosier. You should know that. (laughs) I'm an old, I'm an original Hoosier from a long time ago. I don't remember everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's the other thing. On one hand, it's very white. On the other hand, it's Midwest. So I figured you might have heard of it. Yeah. Uh Um, Yeah. Okay. So it's a business motorcycle rally. I would say uh, it is sort of like pride for old, mostly straight uh, old school motorcycle culture. It is, <laughs> it is boisterous. It is raunchy. It is sort of like the event of the year for old motorcycle dudes. Yeah. Um, it is, it is some bacchanal is what it is. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so Smash Mouth played at this um, during their show. There were no social distancing protocols followed, no mask requirements. Yeah. It was just as though Sturgis was going on any other year. Um, kind of like the White House. Yes, oh, like like the White House, like Sorry. the recent I love, RNC. I, I love your shade, Joseph. I love I it. I just have to. <laughs> yeah. During that show, they said, fuck that COVID shit. We're all here together tonight. And everyone cheered. Um, uh. Well, uh, um, this week, the North Dakota Department of Health reported at least 17 new cases of COVID directly related to the event yeah. and 103 <laughs> other cases in the area that are likely connected. Wow. Yeah. Wait, you're not going to tell me this science is real now, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. What can I mean, be said, CC? What can well, exactly, be said? Exactly. What can be said? I mean, nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, the fact that it happened at a motor, this is a motorcycle, a bike yeah. ga- gathering. I don't yeah. know. Yes. I mean, you know, those Harley guys. Harley Davidson I, pride. I got to yeah. say, though, those guys, if they're, you know, I can, I'm, I'm going to say this. This is going to sound really bad. I, I don't. I'm not expecting those guys to wear masks. <laughs> if that might be horrible for me to say that, but I'm not at that. Those guys, I mean, of course, everyone should be, everyone should be safe, right? But I'm saying, you know, those guys seem like, I mean, these are the guys that go in a bar and like throw something across a bar and start a fight, right? right? I right. mean, you know. It is very much know. of that stereotypical right. motorcycle culture. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't I shouldn't be stereotyping. I'm sure we have some listeners out there that ride motorcycles and I'm sure they're very safe and wear their masks. Yeah. And likewise, I should hesitate to say it's a very white thing because I'm sure that there are some old school black bikers, especially here in the region, who would take uh, take objection to that, too. I mean, there's a here on the East Coast. There's a black uh, bikers club. There's a there's a a huge. Yeah, yeah. there's a huge. So, I mean, so again, you know, the, the culture comes in all forms. Yeah. I think it's a shame, too, about Smash Mouth, though, because they're they're although they're tacky, they're like. They're like the Guy Fieri of 90s <laughs> rock, right? Like, they're tacky, but they're generally good dudes, right? They're huh. pro-trans rights. They're anti-Trump. They're vocally have supported BLM. Um, <laughs> this week, they cheered on the, the Bucks' decision to strike at the playoffs. But these, guys, so. but these guys are also 104, though, right? How old are these Smash Mouth guys? I mean, I, I would no, say no, older than me, no, be, dis- I guess. No, no disrespect to yeah. age, but I'm just saying, yeah, these guys, I mean, these guys are like, I don't they're know. They're somewhere I mean, between you know, Anthony's age 
age and my age. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Def Leppard <laughs> is still performing too, but does, do, do we, yes. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> They're likely in a high risk category is what I'm saying. There you right, go. <laughs> right. And people who are still, and people who are still having concerts during a pandemic. I mean, let's just say that, you know what I'm yeah. saying? If you, yeah. th- that should not be happening, period. Right. They should not be subjecting people and, and, you know, leaving people the option to come to these concerts and, and catch COVID. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's silly. Or go home and take it to their grandmother. Right. Yeah, exactly. 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 Right. Right. Because it's not yeah. just those 17. It's 103 that are connected. Right. The, the way they spread out into the community. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Exa- exactly. And yeah. that's bad, too. So this is bad, bad, bad all around. Even yeah. though you like these guys, Anthony. I'm I don't, sorry. don't say me. I like these guys. No, no, well, no, no. I thought no. you just said they have a really you good like history. I say they're generally good dudes. They're they're tacky, oh, okay. but but, you know, but okay. they okay. trend to be positive. Yeah. Okay. I'm not a just... Smash Mouth fan. They're not oh, okay. my thing. I was like, they get a, they get the L train for just having the concert. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> And welcome back to the bang section of Lit Pop Bang. bang. And, bang. and our illustrious guest, Joseph Ross, is still here. And <laughs> so uh, we usually ask a question in Bang. Uh, we've been asking all kinds of different questions. But today we wanted to talk a little bit about um, what people have been doing at home. And there's been a lot of Zoom. Haven't yeah, you all had a lot right. of Zoom mm-hmm. meetings? I mean, I've had yeah. a lot of I mean, Zoom meetings and what to wear, how to look, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. So this, this Bang question has to do uh, kind of with, like, you know, what is your go-to maybe uh, sort of Zoom or, or online outfit? Or maybe you've bought something that you're going Ooh. back back to yeah. school, right? All, yeah. it's also, all three of us are teachers, right? Yeah, uh, right, right, right. So mm-hmm. whether we were teaching this summer or whether it's back to the virtual classroom this uh, fall. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're picking those outfits. We're picking the backdrop, right? And we're we picking are. the outfits. We want to um, be fashionable while we're being seen on the computer. Yeah, I'll tell you what mine's going to be. So I, for a while, this isn't quarantine specific, but I just bought it while I've been in lockdown for virtual teaching. Um, do you, I, so here's the thing. I saw this thing and my only association with this thing, this item of clothing, is it's what rich old ladies wear to art gallery and museum events. Okay. Uh, okay. And so that's my only context. I don't even know what to Google. Right to figure out where to buy it because I don't even know what it's called. Is it, uh, does it involve like a dead animal? No, like a, it is not fur. It's not, not fur in any way. But here's what it is. I'll describe it to you, and then I'll, I'll tell you. Eventually, found it. Um, oh. But it's those. They're a little thicker than blazers. They often have a pattern on them, and they're like blazers, but they are collarless. They tend to have three, four sleeves instead of full length sleeves. And they're a little longer of a coat, right? So if you can picture an old wealthy lady at at like a museum event trying Mm -hmm. to look like artsy, but also professional. um, Mm -hmm. That's what I was going for. I'm like, what is that called? The name that I finally found it under, and you can Google this real quick if y'all want to know what I'm talking about. Um, Two names that I found under. A topper. CC, does that sound familiar? Topper, mm, would you know? No, what I'm that sounds about? like something from 1910. Yeah, or a, <laughs> or a jacquard, a jacquard jacket. Oh, oh okay, gosh. jacquard. Okay, now yeah. that that sounds sort of yeah. Okay, that one yeah. I know. But topper sounds like uh, you know what uh, what decade is this? You know what what? Uh, <laughs> it's the Roaring Twenties, CC. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> and uh, I end up finding one of these. I love it. It's. Um, and I bought one um, so I can wear it for teaching on occasion when I need to look professional but artsy. I'm looking up topper as a it, oh it doesn't it doesn't come up. Try as topper a, jacket or jacquard topper. I'm just gonna, oh topper jacket they have because yeah. I want to see that that one. Hmm. Ah well wait a minute these get a, this is like a long coat some of these are, are yeah. Like, Long yeah, they tend to be a little longer than pocket length, right? If you look at the, the top results, if you look on Google, CC or listeners, uh, they tend to look like Hillary Clinton jackets, too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them they do. You're right. Yeah, they yeah. do have a, a little hill. That's yeah. like the hill blazer. Yeah, yeah Hillary. Yeah. This is like, yeah, this is like her. All right. I yeah. mean. Okay. Yeah. So I got one. I love them. <laughs> I, I love that style. I took me forever to figure out what it was called, but I bought one for teaching. What All color right. is it? Uh, it is white with uh, black floral sort of patterning, vine and floral oh, patterning wow. over it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. All yeah. right. All right. What about Joseph. you, Joseph? Yeah. 
you know, my fashion is pretty pretty dull. I don't, I'm not even sure you would call it fashion. Um, <laughs> I, uh, first, it, de- it depends on Zoom. It depends on if I'm standing or sitting. Right. Um, sometimes I put my whole class up on the big screen. Uh, mm. So I, I'm not that I'm standing uh, when we when I teach. And for that, I do I, I do sometimes wear a, bl- a shirt tie blazer. Um, when I'm sitting, like uh, really until I get everybody's name, uh, it's mm. a little bit easier for me if I just sit at my desk and use my desktop because mm. then I, I can see them much more clearly. Their na- you know how Zoom is, their name is right right there next to their face. Yeah. Um, so there, I'm pretty much just wearing like a, an Oxford uh, button down shirt. Um, you know, I sort of ra- I sort of rock the traditional light blue ones, uh-huh. uh, but I did get kind of a cool one that's like this green, black, white plaid. Uh, that I've been looking forward to wearing, but I haven't worn yet. But so, yeah, it's like, so that's when I've ditched the tie. So it looks formal because it's a button-down collar and they're only seeing your collar. Um, and yeah, that works. Are you, comfortable. are you normally a shoes guy? Like I know a lot of writers in particular are shoes people. Do you uh, care about dressy shoes when you teach? Normally, uh, if I was in teaching, person? In person, I <laughs> yeah. probably would more, but not, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no one can see your shoes. Uh, right, and, and, and so we're teaching on Zoom, but I'm teaching actually from my classroom. So mm-hmm. the only people I see are, you know, other English teachers who are in the same building. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's, who cares, yeah. It's sad. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad whole event. What I'd like to say about the Zoom outfit is that, I mean, it's just really, it's really, Oh, it's dulling my spirits. You know what I'm saying? Because we yeah. just, we, we're not getting full. We can't get a full like outfit. And for me, I'm definitely a person. I like, especially when it comes to the fall, fall boots, I absolutely uh-huh. love. Like, uh-huh. you know what I mean? I love being able to wear a, 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 a little bit of a heel, like a kitten heel, like a little bit of a boot. I love, you know, wedges, all these sorts of things. And that's kind of out for Zoom, you know? So we are learning not how to- Not if you I, just push your chair back a little bit and put your feet up on the desk. I think that becomes, <laughs> that becomes like a weird talk show is what yeah. I think that could be. <laughs> I think I can't, I think I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> But I will say I have something. So I've been ordering some T-shirts. I've been ordering like some specialty T-shirts. You know, I've got a couple of like Black Lives Matter. Um, Not that that, that's necessarily for the classroom. I mean, you know, it depends. Um, But I've been ordering those. I've been supporting a couple of causes and ordering some because some people are donating funds. There was a Breonna Taylor T-shirt that I got. They donated funds to the family of Breonna Taylor. So 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 there's some of that that I'm doing. But let me just say there is a feminist T-shirt. I'm I'm using this as a as a platform to tell my story i I have a feminist t-shirt that i'm not willing to talk about because when it comes it's going to be so amazing but it (laughs) has been stuck at the usps for over two weeks with your ballot (laughs) for uh, exactly (laughs) joseph exactly i love the shade there again again like my bad i I can't shake it you know i can't shake it Exactly. It's unreal, this USPS slowdown. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's like even like the things that I want to order, I'm becoming like skeptical that they'll ever even descend out of the skies of the USPS right. into my mailbox. It's really I'm afraid it's really that I'm going to forget something I ordered and it's just never going to come and I'm going to have paid for it. And <laughs> right. right. Exa- exactly. It's just been so exactly. long. Right. Yeah. If we stay in quarantine, quarantine for so long, we'll just be like, oh, did we order that thing? I never right. even remember. <laughs> exactly. We'll all go, grow old and gray here waiting for our packages to, right. to, to right. get here. It's crazy. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. So for me, the thing uh, in quarantine, I guess, and in Zooms have been um, like T-shirts and, and and pairing those with cool like sweaters or blazers, doing that kind of thing. But I'm very, very sad about the fall and not being able to sport some of my favorite fall boots. Yeah. Yeah. Darn it. yeah speaking yeah. of USPS, there's this amazing, I have not ordered it yet, but, um, you know, there's this big movement of people trying to save and support the USPS yeah. Yeah. during this, um, like political slowdown and yeah. dismantling. Um, and there's this amazing, so USPS has an apparel shop. You can buy USPS brand clothing, know that. bags. Yeah. Um, and among the, the gayest and most amazing clothing in there is, this incredible USPS stamp uh, crop top that I hope our <laughs> viewers will put the link in the show notes. Uh-uh, I hope you will uh-uh, all check out. Um, uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah, it's almost it's almost getting too late for that. This is uh, this is August here. We're late. Yeah, yeah. Late August What's going into September. We're past crop t-shirt weather, and we've we moved are. into cropped hoodie weather, or we will soon at least. <laughs> but what's the stamp on the crop top? What's that? What's oh, the what's stamp? the stamp? Good question. Joseph. I think it's like a, a commemoration, a, like a, a tribute to their stamp thing. Um, 
I, I don't remember the specifics of it, oh, but okay. it's like bright neon colors oh, that's on cool. white, uh, long sleeve crop top. So perfect yeah, for cool. fall. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Support your USPS. <laughs> With your midriff. <laughs> That's a word I didn't think I'd say today. There it is. There it there is it with is. your midriff. Right I love it. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, so I guess we should be closing out. This is it. I feel like we're, yeah. we're to the end of the show. We've laughed and had some good times and really we enjoyed have. our host here, our guest here, I'm sorry, uh, Joseph Ross. So Thank we've you. had a great time with you, Joseph. Thank yeah, you, thank likewise. you so much for joining us. And and hey, listeners, remember that around the time you're listening to this, uh, Joseph Ross's new book, Raising yep. King, should be out and available. Woo. Buy it local if you can, but you can probably find it anywhere. Yep. You're um, going to find and, the publisher's uh, link on josephross.net. Yeah, oh, and we'll, okay, great. we'll put both Joseph's website and the publisher's website in the show notes as well. Cool. Right. Um, right. And hey, by the way, yep. uh, Cece was mentioning earlier to me, she loves this cover. I do too. It's a gorgeous cover for the that book, photograph right? Thank is you. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I found it. Um, this has happened twice for me uh, with book covers because I sweat covers because they matter. And so yeah, I do. went to the Library of Congress uh, here in DC uh, to their print and photograph room. I think I have that right. And I sat down with this wonderful guy named Jonathan Eaker. And I said, Jonathan, I. I have a book of poetry about Dr. King. I need to find a photograph of Dr. King that is in the public image or public domain. Right. So yeah. he helped me like, you know, these big computers whirring and smoke coming out the back. And for like an <laughs> hour, we found three photographs uh, of him that were in the public domain. And uh, so I have a great friend who designed the cover of Ake. And I sent, he's a Jefferson Pinder. I want to give him a plug. He's a Aww. professor at the Art, School of the Art Institute of Chicago. I sent three of the three, three pictures to Jefferson. And he gave the job to one of his, uh, 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 I think a former student, uh, named um, Jonathan Moises uh, Olivares. And he picked the picture that I thought I would like the least of the three. Um, and he just did a magnificent job with it. So it's a photograph of Dr. King, very close up. You can almost see the indentations in his skin. It's so yeah. close. He's at a podium and he's leaning forward almost kind of casually, but he's looking up. Um, and it was from a day in 1965, I believe. The photograph was taken by Marion Tricosco, who has since uh, passed away. But um, it was the day that Dr. King and Malcolm X both testified uh, before the U.S., before the con for Congress, and they were in um, one of the U.S. Senate buildings, and Dr. King was giving a press conference there, leaning forward on the podium, and thankfully, Marion Tricosco snapped this photograph. Awesome. Uh, so it's a really beautiful photograph, and Jonathan um, Moises Olivares in Chicago did a magnificent job with it, um, and I'm thrilled. Well, yeah, amazing. yeah, it's yeah. it's amazing. a knockout. It's a perfect fit for sure. Yeah, thank you. Beautiful. Well, that's it. That's that's it for our show. We're yeah, really that's a show. Thank you yep. again, Joseph. And hey, listeners, thank you, thank you as always. Yeah, uh, like us on Instagram. Like you, us listeners. on like us on Twitter. Lip Pop Bang. We're always shouting yeah. ourselves out. Subscribe, social media. like, comment, yeah. all that nonsense. Yeah, for sure. Wonderful. <laughs> and yeah, so that's it. So as always, coming from Time City, I'm Anthony, and I'm Cece, and this has been Lip Pop Bang. <laughs>